you know, in essence, um, you are challenging and disrupting people's core values. And, you know, this, this is not a, a judgmental statement. It's, you know, everyone, it's, it's a free world. Everyone can choose whatever values they, they want. It's just that we decided to go down this path. And that did, you know, lead to turbulence. And that did lead to significant changes at all levels in our organization. And it was painful, very painful. Welcome to the Impact Multiplier CEO podcast. I'm Richard Metcalf, founder of X Quadrant, and my mission is to help the world's top CEOs and entrepreneurs shift from incremental to exponential progress and create a huge positive impact on our world. Now, that requires you to reinvent yourself and transform your business. So, if you're ready to play a bigger game than ever before, I invite you to join us and become an Impact Multiplier CEO. Today I speak with Kevin Chin. He's the CEO of Arowana. That was a private equity business that he founded and ran very finance focused for 10 years before realizing that there was a bigger impact that he could make. He transitioned the business to becoming a B Corp, focused on a triple bottom line of planet, people, and profit. And he's built one of the leading impact investment groups in just less than five years, as well as one of the highest ranking B Corps in the world. He's also been recognized as one of the Real Leaders Impact Award winners. What I enjoyed uh, speaking with Kevin is his real commitment to building our impact across the world, across generations, and a commitment to raise up leaders who are also willing to go on that journey with him and scale and create and truly multiply their impact further. So in this discussion, we actually get into that whole transition from being a private equity firm to an impact business, the obstacles that he had to overcome uh, internally and externally, as well as what his next level looks like. So I'm sure you're going to enjoy this fascinating conversation with Kevin Chin. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hi, Richard. Great to, uh, great to be on and uh, thanks, thanks for the invite. Yeah, you're welcome. So I'm looking forward to, to speaking with you today. I know that uh, in your past, you have uh, had to turn around uh, software companies in a really difficult situation, right? You only had six weeks of cash left. You turned it into a global leader. Uh, you, you sold it to Oracle. And then you went ahead and uh, built a business called Aruana, which has become, I believe, one of the world's highest ranking B Corps and a top impact investment group. So as you know, I'm all about impact. That's even the title of the podcast. So let's start there. What led you to build that business? And like a few years later, you know, where are you at in terms of the impact that you're making? Yeah, so... I, I guess similar to a lot of people who've uh, pivoted to, to impact, if you will, uh, I had a sort of family moment uh, many years ago where my, my oldest niece asked me what I did and then asked me why I did it. And, um, you know, without going into the full details of that, that, that really challenged me. And uh, so at that juncture, I started to look for, you know, a broader purpose for arowana rather than just you know making money and uh 
whilst I was at a, a conference in Miami, this was in 2016, I, I stumbled into a session which was all about B Corps and uh, was very excited and, and came back and uh, said to the team, leadership team of Arowana, hey, we're, we're going to do this. We're going to become a B Corp. Everyone kind of looked at me strange. Uh, but fast forward to today, it's uh, it's one of the best things, if, if not the best thing we've done. And really what uh, what we've committed to in terms of becoming a B Corp is a triple bottom line of not just profit, but also people and planet. Okay, so Arowana was started off as a, a regular investment group, is that right? And then you decided that you wanted to really focus on the impact side. Yeah, so we started um, in 2007 as uh, uh, you know, private equity uh, funds uh, type of business. And in 2016, late 2016, just on the just on the cusp of our ten year anniversary was when uh, when I decided uh, we're gonna we're gonna change direction and we're gonna embrace uh, a bigger and broader purpose and an impact orientation. So, what was that purpose? How did you come up with that? What what I what I really like about the B Corp purpose uh, and mantra really is is its elegance, where it talks about the triple bottom line, and the triple bottom line is people, planet. And profit, and uh, you know that there's there's a lot of conjecture as to whether by embracing such a purpose, you're going to be diluting your profits, as in your investment returns will reduce. That's certainly not the case. And um, you know, with a couple of our businesses now, I would argue that um, having that broader purpose has actually led to better investment returns than if we were just solely focused on, you know, monetary objectives. So have you captured the purpose? Is there a specific statement that you have in terms of like the kind of impact you want to make on the planet or on people? It's quite broad, right? When you keep it at those categories. Yeah. So we, we have measurement tools, uh, within the kit bag and, uh, we, you know, we adopt that for Arawana itself, as well as all the companies that we we have in the stable, uh, and that that is largely modelled on the B Impact Assessment um, Toolkit that uh, B Corp provides and and puts you through. You know when when you want to when you want to become a B Corp and mentor when you're going through a recertification process. So as a, as a B Corp, you have to recertify every three years. And my sort of elevator response to people who ask, so what, what is, what is B Corp in practice? You know, what does it involve? What I say to them is that it's in essence, um, ISO 9001 on steroids, because not only are you signing up to, you know, having great systems, processes, governance, uh, et cetera, as, as you do with ISO, but you're also attesting to a purpose architecture for lack of a better term. And that's got to be real. It, it can't be, you know, a motherhood statement with nothing behind it. It can't be a pledge. So, okay, so you started to measure impact. You started to get serious about this. What was the reaction? I mean, you're taking these, you know, these hardened private equity fund managers or, or investors and you're telling them that now, you know, it's not just about the money anymore. Uh, how do they react to that? You know, what was the whole journey that you went on? It sounds like it could be quite a big thing after 10 years of of operating in a certain way. 
It's a great question, and I notice you're, you're smiling as you ask that because uh, you've, you've hit on you know the, the the toughest elements of that transition, where you know in essence um, you are challenging and disrupting people's core values, and you know this, this is not a, a judgmental statement. It's you know everyone it's it's a free world. Everyone can choose whatever values they they want. It's just that we decided to go down this path, and that did you know, lead to turbulence and that did lead to significant changes at all levels in our organization. And it was painful, very painful. And um, we had to overcome a, a, a lot of internal strife, if you will, to, to get through it. Um, and, you know, culturally we were not in a great place when, when we did this, but I would say you know, five years, six years after the fact, culturally, and, and we're in more places around the world now, we're more, more aligned uh, than, than we've ever been. So it, it's been worth it, but very difficult at the time. Yeah. So if you're giving advice to somebody who wanted to make a similar transition, like what are the big pitfalls uh, and what specifically would you recommend they do or what did you do? So I, I would say the, the biggest Learning for us, or, or rather, you know, the thing we underestimated, if, if you like, going in, was we, we didn't expect it to be as tough as it was to, you know, to, to certify for B Corp. I mean, for us, it took almost uh, a year and a half to get certified. And, you know, we had to improve a lot of things. We had to change up a lot of things. Um, and, you know, but what, one, of, one of the aspects about B Corp, which is, I think, not terribly well understood, is it's an attestation to give up the shareholder primacy objective that is the key driver for, for, for many organizations. Um, and this stems back from, you know, Milton Friedman uh, 40 plus years ago. Uh, and that's that's a legal change within the constitution and memorandum and, and articles. So that can be very difficult if you're, you know, for example, a listed company, and so you've got to be ready to battle that with your shareholders or some of your shareholders, perhaps. And then you've got to have a very clear internal and external communications plan. And uh, we probably were a little bit naive, you know, and, and didn't do that as well as could have been in hindsight. Did you actually have to battle external shareholders more or was it internal uh, employees or was it both? Uh, I would say it was more internal. It was more internal. Um, so as far as our external uh, shareholders and stakeholders were concerned, and perhaps it was just a, a lack of understanding on, on their part, uh, but uh, we were able to you know, get through the voting on that, you know, I think there was more than 95% voted in favor. So that wasn't an issue. Uh, I, I would say the, the, the other thing to be prepared for is that there are, you know, no sacred cows, for lack of a better term, where you decide to do this and you've got to be ready for profound change. As, as I mentioned, it's, it's, it's not just a pledge. Yeah. So let's just kind of, before we go on to the internal side, the external, so it sounds like these might be um, turkeys voting for Christmas uh, if you've got your shareholders who are voting to remove their primacy, shall we say. 
So why, why did they do that? Was it because they too wanted just to make a bigger impact? Was it they kind of believed actually long-term we might even be better off? Or yeah, what was going on for them, would you say? Yeah, it's a good question, Richard. I, I would say it was the latter, as in they believe that in the long term, it's, it's better. Um, and, you know, the, the example I, I always give uh, to people who ask, you know, why, why we've done it and why is it a benefit in the long term is just the example of the Boeing 737 MAX, where everyone, I think, knows that case study now where a focus on short-term profits and, you know, trying to compete led to shortcuts that, you know, had profound implications for, for Boeing even today. Um, so that is never a situation, you know, we would want to end up in. Uh, so I think, you know, our shareholders as, as, a, as a cohort were sympathetic uh, to that and uh, sophisticated enough to, to appreciate that as well. Okay. So, yeah. So let's, let's talk about the internal side, the employees. You mentioned that was actually the source of the biggest resistance. So what's going on there? You, you, know, you might think, well, employees would love to have more of a sense of purpose and mission. That's what we're all told, right? That that's what everybody wants. And yet, when you were trying to implement that, you got pushed back. So again, what was going on there, and how did you actually win them over? So I think with that, uh, it just so happened we were doing this at at the cusp or the inflection points of when impacts really started to take off, uh, and when B Corp was just starting to get traction. So at the time we were doing it, I think B Corp, there were about 2,500 B Corps in the world. Now there are more than 7,000, I believe. Uh, so it's been growing very quickly. And the world was really just starting to embrace impact. And you know, it's really accelerated uh, from, from there. So the resistance, I guess, really came from you know, me coming back from another conference, here's Kevin, he's got another crazy idea that he wants to roll out. Uh, and, and what is B Corp anyway? No one's heard of it. And why are we wasting time on this? Uh, to when there was unpacked further. And, you know, I think some folks realized that, hang on a second, does this mean this is sacrificing short-term profits and, you know, money for a, a longer-term goal and, and, and sharing, sharing the, the, the objectives of the organization with all stakeholders rather than shareholders and, and removing that, you know, focus on money uh, in and of itself. That's, that was the trigger, I, I think, for, you know, it, it's challenging someone's core values, as, as I mentioned before, that, uh, that, that causes, you know, that, that, that turbulence. Um, so. In terms of overcoming that resistance, um, honestly, we, we didn't. People just left. Uh, and uh, um, for a time, we, you know, we battled people throwing stones back at the organization. Uh, but, you know, that, that happens and we're not, we're not unique or alone in that regards. Uh, but fast forward to today, what, what I've definitely noticed in the last three years is we get a lot more companies that approach us and say, hey, you know, we see what you're doing. We've been approached by 
this group or this violence, but we'd prefer to, you know, we'd prefer to uh, partner with you guys. Uh, and every, every week I get about half a dozen to a dozen messages in my, my LinkedIn saying, love your purpose, um, keen to see if there's opportunities to join, you know, join the firm. So I, I think, you know, it's only been the last three years probably that uh, impacts really accelerated. Whereas when we did this five, six years ago, it was we were just on the cusp. I hope you're enjoying this conversation. This is just a quick interlude to remind you that my book, Making Time for Strategy, is now available. If you want to be less busy and more successful, I highly recommend that you check it out. Why not head over to makingtimeforstrategy.com to find out the details. Now, back to the conversation. Well, that's a great transition. I'd love to talk about the future. This is called the Impact Multiplier CEO podcast. So how would you love uh, the business to multiply its impact uh, over, the, over the coming years, right? What would, what would break through success, even where you are now, what would be a whole new level of success and impact for the business? Yeah, yeah that's uh, another good question, Richard. So I think there's three, three elements to that. So no, number one would be picking the right sectors to invest in. And those sectors would be conducive to delivering impacts across that triple bottom line, you know, people, planet, and profit. And then what you can do is, is segment or unpack people, planet, profits with reference to the UN SDG goals, uh, the Sustainable Development Goals, all 17 of them. So we're focused on certain sectors, uh, and, and that's, that's a big change well, that's a material change for Arowana, whereas, you know, when we first started in 2007, we were primarily driven by the financial metrics of an investment and whether it would make us money and the right returns or not. Whereas now it's, you know, how do we measure not just the, you know, the, the, the potential investment returns, but the impact returns to people and the planet. So the sectors that we're involved in include education, electric vehicles, uh, plastic recycling, uh, to name some examples. So element one is picking the right sectors where we can have an impact across those dimensions and a multiplied impact. Element number two is building the next generation of C-suite leaders, founders, entrepreneurs who truly embrace impact. And, and it's not just you know, a fashionable thing to say, and it's not just, you know, impact washing for lack of a term, but it's, it's core to what they want to do uh, and what they want to look back on and say they've achieved and be proud of. Um, so one thing that Arowana has done is uh, we've launched a entrepreneur in residence program uh, designed to build our, you know, our own it's like an in-house academy, if you will, to uh, grow our own CEOs uh, that are impact-focused and that can help, you know, run a business effectively for impact. And the third element is also picking markets, as in geographic markets around the world, where we can make the most impact. Uh, and, you know, that tends to be in more emerging markets, uh, although the world is 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 
you know, is, is, is kind of narrowing in terms of that, that gap. Uh, and in that regard, you know, Southeast Asia, uh, as well as the Middle East, GCC and, and surrounding markets uh, are areas that focus for us, you know, large populations, uh, lots of people, lots of issues with negative impacts on the planet, but lots of opportunities to solve those problems as well. Yeah, so I love it. I think it's really clear. You've got that kind of leadership angle. You've got the kind of sector focus, the geographic focus. Let's imagine you were, you know, 90 years old, telling your great-grandchildren about the ultimate impact you had made with all of this. What would you love to tell them the most? I was actually just having this conversation with uh, uh, someone who just joined our electric vehicle business that what, what I didn't want to end up, at 90 years old, if, you know, if I'm lucky enough to get there, just to be able to, to look back and say and think that, okay, I've made all this money, I've bought all these properties, I go on these trips and I eat all this food. It just seems shallow in, in a sense. And, and again, it's not a value judgment, you know, uh, it, it, it's just it's personal for everyone, right? And, and uh, I think it would, for me anyway, not that I think, I know it would be a lot more fun, a lot more satisfying to be able to say to my family, you know, kids that, hey, this is, this is what we built. You know, we, we electrified these vehicles, which reduced emissions, which uh, uh, then helped to uh, improve air quality in, in the Philippines, for example. And, and you can see these things running around. Um, and you know, that's, that's, that, that was a fun project. It was a difficult project, but we made it work. And to me, that would be the sense of pride, if you will, as, as a 90 year old to be able to share something tangible like that and not just say, got this house, that house, and a been here, been there, I've eaten this and, 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 you know, beyond just a, a, a sort of a, a consumer mindset, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, the, uh, yeah, at some point the money isn't going to make so much of a difference. Right. And, and the legacy becomes what it's all about. I think, um, I guess, uh, Kevin, the question I have ready for you at this point is is what I call the stretch, right? So how do you, what might you need to shift in, in how you lead, right? How you show up, what's going on for you in order for you to multiply your impact? Because obviously, you know, you've got a great, I'm going to call it a great default future, right? It's looking good. Things are going well. And so you could just kind of continue to do what you do and things are probably going to incrementally grow. What fascinates me is the exponential, right, or the breakthrough. Uh, and I always believe that that comes from a personal level, right? So there's a, perhaps a shift that we might need to make in, inside of us that's going to release new things in our business and in our world. So I'm wondering what comes to mind for you. You know, how might you, what might you need to kind of uh, stretch on? What muscles might you need to build if you want to multiply your impact even more? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of uh, Salim Ismail and Pete Diamond is who espouse you know, abundance and, you know, that this age affords people with tools 
to 10x themselves and 10x their businesses in you know ever shorter time frames and with with less and less resources uh, so uh, I, I think for me it would be two things that I, I need to constantly improve on and remind myself on is a I'm naturally a person that has extremely high attention to detail, uh, perhaps borderline OCD. Some of my team would say definitely OCD. And sometimes I'm conscious that that can be a you know limiting factor if, if, I, if I'm just completely over the top on something and, and it slows things down and or, you know, it effectively disempowers, you know, someone uh, by virtue of that. So it's it's finding that balance of having quality, you know, and I'm always a fan of, you know, having first class output uh, in everything we, we do, but conscious that there has to be enough rope for team members to, you know, to do what they do well, and and uh, and we've got great team members and. They, they need to have that capacity capability uh, to, 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 to execute. So that, that would be one. And then secondly, I'm at, I'm at an age now where I'm conscious that it, it's easy to slide into dogma that, you know, you've been around the world long enough. You've seen many things, you've experienced many things and nothing's new per se, or you, or I, you know, I slip into this mindset that nothing's new. So that I'm, I'm very conscious of that, you know, staying mentally agile and flexible is, is important. So I, you know, I've, I've nominated a couple of people in our team, you know, the, the 20 something year olds to be my next generation coaches for lack of a better term, uh, to stay, you know, to stay uh, mentally agile and not sort of slip into this, you know, that won't work <laughs> because, you know, it, because you, you just get to an age, right, where you've experienced so much that uh, you think, okay, I've seen it all. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I think it's great. Um, it's been a really uh, interesting conversation, uh, Kevin, because, uh, here we've just been talking about on the business side, real clear areas to focus on, um, the, the geography, the, the, the sectors, the leadership development. Uh, and then we've also, you know, just, just now gone deep in terms of, yeah, it's easy when you're, when it seems like people are admiring you, you know, you, you built something great, you're investing in all these companies, you're getting all these inbound interest. It could be easy to be satisfied with that and say, you know what, I'm going to settle. This is okay. We can just keep doing what we're doing. But I'm hearing in you that sense of, well, no, let's still challenge myself, make sure I don't become that kind of unassailable, set in my ways kind of leader who feels he knows it all. So I think that kind of willingness to reinvent uh, is perhaps something which is actually, but I mean, it's already present in you, right? It's, you know, actually you're not saying, oh, I, I don't, I'm in dogma. It's just that you realize that, that that could be a trap. And I think that's really a, a genius move. So thank you for this conversation. I think what I've really enjoyed about it is, as well as this part we've just talked about, really being clear that that transition from a very financially focused business 
to a purpose-driven business, a triple bottom line business, you know, is doable. Uh, it requires a lot of explanation and, and change management and selling of the idea and explaining it. But even in the financial sector, which you would imagine is some, a sector that might even be more resistant, yeah, it's actually been possible. And looking back, it's, you said it was the best thing that could have happened. And it's increased your returns. So I think it's just a great positive reminder to people who are perhaps uh, not yet in, haven't yet fully gone in, all in on impact, that actually it's possible and you can run it as a project and you can lead your stakeholders and you can sell it to your shareholders and, and everything else and make it happen. So thank you for the case study. It's been great uh, listening to that. No problems in uh, last question, really. Um, last question, Kevin. So if people want to find out about more about you and about, uh, about the business, you know, where do they go to do that? So probably the, you know, our website, so would be, be the, the fastest and easiest. Uh, that's, uh, arowanaco.com. Uh, that's A-R-O-W-A-N-A-C-O.com. There's also a book I've written called Hyper Turnaround, which chronicles the, uh, the journey of a software business, uh, which is uh, going back almost 20 years ago now, that we, I was part of the team that, you know, turned that around uh, from six weeks of cash to survive to become a global leader in its field. And, and then it was acquired by, by Oracle. Uh, interestingly, that, that business is in uh, natural language inferencing, which is all the rage now with generative AI. Um, and uh, I think worth, uh, infinitely more if we kept kept on to it <laughs> uh, but uh yeah that's that, those are probably the two two main uh, sources yeah perfect well kevin thanks so much for the conversation i've really enjoyed it and look forward to following your journey as uh, arowana continues to multiply its impact pleasure richard thanks for having me on and uh, keep up the great work on on your podcast too thank you well that's a wrap if you received value from this conversation, please do leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. We'd deeply appreciate it. And if you'd like to check out the show notes from this episode, head to xquadrant.com slash podcast, where you'll find all the details. Now, finally, when you're in top leadership, who supports and challenges you at a deep level to help you multiply your impact? Discover more about the different ways we can support you at xquadrant.com.